Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Zara. This is a very special episode. This week, I'm talking to Carta Manier, who is a webcomic artist, or I should just say a comic artist. This was a really cool conversation, and I've been wanting to branch out into stuff like this for a while, and I hope to do more in the future. But we can talk about that more after the interview. So uh, I'll just say that this was recorded December 20th. 2017. Please stick around after our conversation is over for a bit of a coda. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, hello. I am here with Carta Manier. Hello. Hello. Carta, why don't you tell us a couple things about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a trans woman living in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm a cartoonist and podcast host. I am a host on the podcast We Should Be Friends, which is like a book club podcast where we talk about indie comics. Um, and then I make comics of my own as well. Yeah. So I uh, I found out about you pretty recently through your your comic on Polygon, the mm-hmm. stealth mechanic. Stealth mechanic. And um, from there, I uh, looked at the rest of your work, and I found it to be a lot of it just like really profoundly interesting and sort of very up my alley. I actually, uh, in, in the episode that's coming out next week, which will be right after Christmas, I actually talk about Stealth Mechanic a little bit because I liked it so much. Oh, cool. And I, and I wanted to reach out to you and talk about some of this stuff. So tell us a little bit about that comic, Stealth Mechanic. Uh, sure. So it is a comic about the 2016 video game uh, Hitman, which is sort of a reboot, I guess, of the Hitman franchise. I don't really know anything about that franchise's continuity or whatever, if there is any. But uh, it's like a stealth assassination game where you play as uh, this sort of like extremely generic looking tall white man in a universe where every other man is like the same build as you. (laughs) So like... Uh, the sort of like gameplay loop is that like you need to access a certain area and in order to do that you could either be extremely good at sneaking like if you're a super pro level player or if you're a normal player um, you'd like knock out a guard who's assigned to that area or something and put on their outfit and then you're able to go through kind of unquestioned. And I found that when I was playing that game, uh, it was sort of right around the time when I started to come out publicly. And I felt like there were a lot of things in that game that really resonated with me in terms of the suspicion of people, the way that like some people accept you because they see like women's clothes or painted nails and like that's enough for them. But then some people are naturally more suspicious or confrontational. And I found that the game sort of reproduced that tension in a really interesting way. Uh, So the comic is about that. It is uh, like a comic essay about the parallels I found between like coming out and like trying to exist as a trans woman in public um, and sort of like the the feeling of danger or uh, suspicion 
that really matched up with what I experienced in the game. Yeah, it, it's it's it was really profound to me. I, I've only I've only been out even to myself for like six months at this point, and I'm still very early on in that in that process, uh, and I haven't really started like presenting in public. That sort of unintended synergy between the uh, the, the 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 way that you have to blend and like. I'm I'm always very interested in how games sort of present these these, these weird metaphors for our life. Like I, I feel like we game games journalism in in a general sense uh, kind of simplifies games to like is it good is it bad is this a fun toy to play with? And I'm always way more interested in the ways that they sort of reproduce thought processes, either like intentionally or unintentionally. And uh, that comic in particular really sort of hit something that that I hadn't thought about at all, which is the ways that you can't take action in the real world that you can in like a virtual world. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And just on a formal level, uh, that comic is really fascinating to me because like, uh, and I see this in a lot of your other uh, stuff where you, you you switch around between kind of like your your presentational mode so it, like it starts off in sort of like a, a typical autobio comic fashion where it's sort of just like presenting your day-to-day experience and then it transitions into more of like a narrated kind of poetic thought and then it then transitions into uh, gameplay and then there's sort of a weird reality where you present your own life with like the UI of Hitman over top of it and like you playing yourself and that's sort of like weird jumping around of what your position is literally in in that story is really fascinating to me. Oh, thank you. I mean, like comics is a medium that like allows you to do a lot of interesting things that way and like I struggle a lot with like how to present um, ideas. Like I'm always really afraid that I'm just going to do like a illustrated essay, you know, like, (laughs) like, why is this a comic? You know, like, is it just words with some pictures? So I always try really hard to like think about ways that I can like integrate like the words and the visuals and like more interesting ways or like ways that like sort of like enhance the point rather than just like restate it so like that was my thought with a lot of the ui stuff like i do that in in several of my comics but like i really like the the idea of like ui overlay on like everyday social situations or specific situations because it's like a visual language that people understand that you don't normally see applied to like you know a conversation or something like that yeah it's really interesting the way that you sort of deal with like internet interactivity in general sort of like uh you have the there's a couple of comics uh, i fell asleep while waiting for you to come home and meet and fuck both of those sort of tell a story through like abstracted ui on a, on a computer like I, f- I find it sort of similar to uh do you know the games of nina freeman oh i love the games of nina yeah. freeman oh yeah 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 I've, I've been working on a sort of video essay about her stuff for a long time you know i grew up on forums and such like writing fan fiction and and role-playing and stuff like that and i feel like there's an entire generation of people sort of coming up where that was like their primary mode of social interactions like through through the internet 
And it's really fascinating to see this sort of like new uh, uh, theme sort of showing up in 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 art today. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I feel like it's especially useful for trans or like more generally like queer art where I think there's this really specific experience of like sad, closeted like middle schooler in like shitty small town, like Midwest or whatever. And like the internet when it arrives in the house is like the first exposure to a broader outside world or culture, you know, like the first time that a person is able to, to even conceptualize the idea of like queer community or, you know, like just concepts that like were not in the house or in the community beforehand. And I think that like that is very rich in concepts that should be explored through art. And Nina does an amazing job with that. And like there are several other people who are sort of like working towards this examination of like what it means to be online. Like I really liked um, Merritt Kay's comic, Internet Murder Revenge Fantasy, which is about like coming up as a young trans person, like mostly on 4chan. And it's really good and like painful and very specific to like a certain experience that like has been shared by probably millions of people, but like people aren't talking about because like it feels very private or weird or, you know, like it's an interesting thing to explore. Yeah, I... I mean, I definitely get that. That's sort of the onus behind me starting this podcast anyway, is feeling like there's a whole lot of conversation about uh, what it means to be transgender sort of after you're out and after you've made the 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 jump, I guess. And and not as much from like before that sort of just exploring like the thought process behind it because there's sort of I get I get a feeling of a of a general pressure to sort of conform to some like ideal of the process of coming out and transitioning and for me a lot of the meat of it is in this kind of in-between state where I'm just sort of trying to understand what it means for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think a lot of people would say that like the pressure to conform to a certain type of coming out is like very present, especially from like a cis medical establishment or like people wanting to hear that simple narrative because it's easier for them to understand and less threatening to them. You know, like everybody wants to hear, oh, I've known since I was a little kid. I tried on my mom's high heels. I wrapped a sheet around me and pretended it was a dress and looked in the mirror. And then I've always known. And now I am finally true to myself. And like what that tells cis people especially is like, oh, you would know if you were trans. Like you are not in danger of becoming a woman, you know, like you're not weird. Um, We're the weird ones. And I certainly found when I was coming out that that narrative did not match up with any of my own experiences. You know, like it's easier to say in retrospect, like, oh, I guess that was probably a trans feeling. But no, it's super complicated. And I don't think anybody takes exactly the same path. So I think that's not a bad idea, like to explore those sort of like in between or like on the cusp of coming out sort of feelings, because there's a lot there and like a lot of anxiety there. I hadn't actually considered the the sort of implication of reinforcing cisnormativity through uh, the unified narrative of, of transgender coming out. That's 
very funny, <laughs> but but not but not really. Um, mm-hmm. So getting getting back to comics a little bit, and I guess also video games. It, it seems to me like both comics and video games are sort of the perfect medium for trans stories in the way that like film and TV aren't necessarily. Uh, there's a there's a YouTube series that I don't know if it actually got a uh, an Emmy nomination, but they were they were trying for one. It's called Her Story, which I immediately thought they stole that title from the game, but they didn't. But uh, it's um, it's fine. It's it's a pretty good little show. But I feel like any sort of on screen depiction of trans people has <sighs> there's a lot of stuff that's very hard to avoid for for a cis audience and i feel like with comics specifically you can write a trans story and it's like inherently psychological Mm -hmm. no absolutely absolutely like um i think sarah horrocks was the first person i saw talking about this but i talked about it a lot um i was on this panel at spx this year called something like gender fluidity and utopia or something like that but i'm a very big believer in the idea that comics are specifically the best medium for depicting trans people because you don't have the problem in prose where like you're bound to pronouns or like if you want to talk about like clues that a character might be trans in prose it's this very clumsy like her hands were big or like he noticed her adam's apple or whatever and then like in a movie or something you have to deal with an actor if they're a cis actor you know that brings all of its own problems if they're a trans actor maybe they're at a different point in their transition or like you know there's just a lot of reasons that it's complicated and then there's the whole issue of like the audience like very quickly being able to understand that this is a trans character because of involuntary cues like voice or you know anything like that but in comics you don't have to deal with that stuff you know like you can introduce a character and give away as much as you want to or not and like you never have to disclose a character's transness it could be completely implicit in a comic which is really amazing i think you're right like in in comics it's like all you know like in the mind or conceptual and the artist has so much more control over that character at least hypothetically i think it's a very powerful medium for depicting transness i actually watched that uh, spx panel and uh, one of my favorite things that you said on that was uh, you give a kid a forum and they're gay immediately <laughs> and that that kind of speaks to like the way that things are rapidly changing in a way that I think a lot of uh, I say adults, but like I'm an adult. I don't know. Old people just like cannot understand uh, this just like this sort of socialized, anonymous, public, accessible database of of stories and expression. That's just like as soon as people start coming of age uh, in the next 10 years, like things are going to change really, really quick in some really funny and interesting and potentially terrible and wonderful ways. And so like kind of the opposite of that, like what I find interesting about video games is you're able to kind of choose how you represent yourself in the game. I've been playing probably way more of Animal Crossing Pocket Camp than I should because it's not a very deep game, but I find it very soothing. And uh, it's actually the first game where I used my uh, my new name. And it's been it was sort of surprisingly affirming to just have all these characters refer to me by that name, by my preferred pronouns. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like there's probably a lot of people who find themselves in that position where they're sort of expressing their their transness through that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like when I was just starting to come out is when um 
like Mitoma was popular. And like that was the first game where like I used a name that hinted at like the name that, you know, like I used my first initial like in the game I was C and like female pronouns and like wearing cute clothes. And it was just already so like, oh, my God, you know, like. I feel so exposed, but this is so wonderful. And I think people have that kind of experience all the time. Like I'm friends with this uh, 16-year-old trans boy who came out, I guess like a year and a half to two years ago at this point. And before he came out, he told me like his primary gender expression was like playing as male characters on his private Minecraft server. And so like I think video games do offer like a big opportunity for people to sort of covertly explore different genders and like... The effectiveness of that, I guess, depends on, like, how the game itself treats characters. You know, like, if you're, like, role-playing a girl, but you're playing, like, a South Park game or something, like, I don't know if you're going to have a great experience. But, like, in a more open-ended game like Animal Crossing or Minecraft or whatever, I think it can be extremely liberating for people because, like, it's just affirming that name and pronoun again and again and again. So if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about your, your, your personal life. How long have you known that you were trans and like, what, what was it that sort of helped you figure that out? It's a tricky question. Um, I guess there's two ways I could answer this because like, this is the question that like, of course I got from every member of my family and like, you know, like every older cis person who knew me, right? Like, did you know when you were a kid, when I knew you, like that sort of question. So like the retroactive answer is I've known since childhood but like the more complicated answer is as far as I can tell nobody thinks of their own thoughts and internal life as like different from the norm and so when I was a kid I had a lot of like thoughts or desires that were like oh um I am a girl or I would like to be a girl or I used to be a girl and things like that And not knowing how anybody else in the world thinks, I thought this is completely normal. This is the universal experience. And I thought that way, you know, like through college, like when I started getting my first exposures to trans people, I was irritated by them because I was like, I used to think I was a girl and like, you don't see me being trans because I I really just had this thought like, well, (laughs) I chose not to do that. So like, it's really selfish of them to like make such a big deal out of it. It was only after college when I was married and in like a safe place away from my family that I could start really thinking about these ideas. And like something that helped me a lot was having trans friends around and just seeing like their own process and their own uncertainties. Because I had really bought into that idea that like, if you're trans, you know it from the beginning and you have this giant neon sign in your head that says I'm trans and you feel like compelled to transition and it's just so direct and you have no uncertainty but instead like I think for most trans people like there's this fear like am I trans enough is it selfish of me to think about gender when like there's clearly other people who think about it harder you know like am I going to regret this or you know like just on a more practical level like you think about what it takes to transition and you're like that's so much work I'm gonna have to come out to my family 
I'm going to have to come out at my job. I'm going to have to change a bunch of government forms that seem extremely complicated. Like, it just seems like a lot. So like when I finally started thinking about it, it was much more in terms of like, oh, maybe if I'd known trans people when I was in high school, I would have considered myself trans then. And that was sort of how I thought about it for a while. But like I had this feeling that the more I allowed myself to think about this, the more inevitable it would be that I would come out. Like I I had this feeling like I don't want to focus on this too much because I'm going to go down a road that I won't be able to turn back from. And eventually I did, you know, like through a combination of like therapy and talks with close friends and talks with my wife. I got to the point where I could say like without having a panic attack, like I'm a trans woman. In private, you know, like not in public or whatever. And that was like really the biggest first step. And from there, it's just all practical concerns, you know, like, how am I going to do this? Or like, how do I want to think about like wearing clothes or like, should I buy a bra or, you know, like all of those things, they come after like, for me, that that big switch over was just being able to admit out loud, like, this is how I feel. And it's very scary. So like, when did I acknowledge my transness? That was like, uh, two and a half to three years ago, I guess. But it was like, definitely the culmination of something larger, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I definitely feel the same way. Like, for me, it was, uh, I've never like felt present in myself. You're absolutely right about like, you think everything that you're thinking is normal. So my entire life, it's like, I'm just like a messed up person, but that's because I'm socially awkward or any of these other things. And if I follow these steps to becoming an adult, finally, I will be fixed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, this summer, it was sort of like, I'd, I'd, I'd finally gotten all of the things that I thought would make me a, a functional human being and they'd all like gone down in flames. I feel really lucky in the timing of that because I was sort of at a very like kind of dark time. And at the same time, uh, Zinnia Jones posted about uh, depersonalization and then ContraPoints released her uh, body dysphoria video. And both of those things sort of very directly reflected the things I'd been feeling about myself for a very long time. And that sort of pushed me into thinking like, wait, is this, is that who I am? And yeah, it's so, it's so much more complicated. Like I go, I go entire weeks where I'm just like, oh man, I'm so excited that I'm a woman. And then there are some days where I'm like, what the fuck am I thinking? Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) And like the big stress point for me is that I've never really like been big on grooming myself or had much of an interest in fashion. And now I'm sort of having to learn this entire world of physical presentation. And I'm sort of wrestling with like, how much do I feel obligated to to buy into that? Am I I like reinforcing cis normative image issues by like aiming for like passing as a woman? And it's all it's all so it's all so weird. (laughs) It's extremely weird and complicated. Like you don't think about it ahead of time. Like women don't inherently know these things either. You know, like up until everybody is like nine or 10 or whatever, like there's sort of this even playing field of like, okay, we're kids and like I play with girl toys and you play with boy toys or whatever. But like nobody has thought that much about like how does a woman sit or how does a woman stand at a crosswalk? 
or that bullshit. <laughs> but then like, you know, when you start to consider coming out as a trans woman, that puts you on par with like an 11 or 12 year old girl. Like, okay, like I want to dress like an adult, like an adult woman. And I want to learn how to do all of these interesting things, or at least conceptually understand them, like makeup or wearing a bra or any of those things. And it's just this like experience of kind of stunted growth. I think every trans woman has to go through this period of like clumsy adjustment and sort of like experiencing those same anxieties and and pitfalls and everything that like every girl does. Um, but I mean, like, at least at, at, you're in my age, like there's the added benefit of like, you're not actually in middle school, you know, like you can do this with your own money and the privacy of your own home or at your own pace or whatever. So it's not like as traumatizing (laughs) as it could be, (laughs) but like, I, I honestly believe it's the same, you know, like it's the same sort of process. And like, I often tell my friends, you know, like all of these things are learned, you know, like my ability to pass in public is brand new. And like, so much of it is just based in like, I have had to learn how to like relax and like, you know, exude some kind of confidence that like people buy into. But like that took time and like, just like anybody, you know, like a cis woman might not have to worry about being misgendered, but like they would still have to worry about like people thinking that they're dressing like an idiot or, you know, like, (laughs) oh, you look like a slob or whatever, you know, like all of those are like real things. And I think the process for learning how to overcome that is, is similar. And like, especially through community can sort of be shortened, but like, through experimentation also. I feel like I've gotten reasonably good at dressing myself, but that only came after like I was bad at dressing myself for a while, you know? Yeah, it's uh I'll I'll say like I've I've had this this thought that in in some ways I'm I'm very lucky in that, you know, I'm 28 years old. I'm not really beholden to anybody, but also like, I don't have like a ton of family that I have to answer to. So that, that whole, that whole process is so much more simplified for me. I'm trying to lose a lot of weight and I'm been successful so far, but part of that is that I I haven't been like buying new clothes because I don't want to spend a ton of money on stuff that won't fit me. Uh, So I've been like limited to like thrift store stuff and that's sort of inherently like the clothes that nobody wants anymore. Right, 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 right. No, that's, that's hard. I mean, like, I feel like I've gotten good at finding some like sites online, especially that are like slightly trendier, but still cheap. Like, have you heard of like, um, ThreadUp? I have not. ThreadUp. I'm sorry, this is going to become an advertising podcast now. I don't work for ThreadUp. Um, but it's like a, a consignment type website like you know like a website version of something like Nordstrom Rack I Mm. guess but it's really pretty good and like the prices are very low so if you need like some throwaway clothes basically like okay like I don't know if I'm still gonna be size whatever in a few months but like I might as well get like a five dollar to seven dollar dress now you know like it's a good website for that and um I've also just started using um this website Poshmark, which is like, as far as I can tell, a social network for rich teens (laughs) who um, get a lot of like nice clothes and things and then also don't care about money. So like they're selling them way under value. So like that's also a really good place to look because like you can get very cheap clothes. It has like flat rate shipping of like 
$6 or something. So like if you get like several items from the same seller, it's quite cheap. And then like, they really don't seem to give a shit about selling stuff for way too little money. Like I got myself a, a smartwatch, like a nice smartwatch for $20. Wow. And like the listing was like, I already have a smartwatch. <laughs> And it's like, oh, you're fa- you're fantastic. I love you. You know, like, thank you. You know, like oil tycoon teen. Um, things like that are really useful. And then, like, there's also like the classic, like, if you have cis friends who are your size who have clothes that they don't want anymore, like getting clothes, even that like are the opposite of your style, like just getting things in your size can be really, really useful. Like, I would never choose to wear like a big like white dreads high school drug dealer poncho but like one of my friends gave me an article of clothing something like that and like it looks pretty good on me and like I figured out how to wear it if I want to you know like it can be useful because you don't have the pressure in that sort of circumstance of like is this worth spending my money on yeah that's uh those are good resources I'm definitely gonna look into those um I wanted to talk about something that might you can you can tell me to fuck off with this, but uh, this <laughs> it's sort of like struck home for me. Um, in Laura Croft was my family. Part of that is sort of depicting uh, your 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 mother getting sick and eventually mm-hmm. passing away. Is that all mm-hmm. okay? So I lost my mom when I was 19. Mm-hmm. I listened to your, your first episode where you talk about that, and it really stood out to me as something we have in common there. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that I think a lot about because uh, I was never terribly close to my dad, but uh, my mom is sort of the person who shaped me into into who I am, and I take a lot of like, inspiration from her. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot about like what what conversations we would have and kind of regret never being able to like come out to her Mm -hmm. were you were you were you ever able to have those kinds of conversations with your mom i i was in sort of a limited capacity um unfortunately the way that the timing worked out with my mom it was like just around halloween 2015 that um she was diagnosed with like extremely advanced terminal cancer and I hadn't come out yet like I was still pretty early on but like starting to feel more inevitable you know like at home with my wife like we were talking about it a fair amount so like when that happened it really shifted my focus to like you know wanting to do what was right for my mom or you know like best for her care so I had been gearing up like with this big idea like you know when I come out to my parents it's going to be kind of an ultimatum like you need to respect my name and pronouns or I'm not going to come home for a while you know like that was sort of what I was planning on but then like with her being sick it was all all of a sudden just like I'll do whatever you know like I it's just more important to me to be close to her so I did come out to her. Um, I came out to my parents through a letter. I don't remember when, but you know, like a a couple months after she was diagnosed. And I mean, her response was like largely very positive. We just didn't have very much time to explore a lot of those things, unfortunately. And like, I couldn't really put much pressure on her to like respect my name or pronouns because like she was so sick. But considering, like, what time we got together, it was very positive. And, like, especially near the end, like, when I was on hormones and, like, we were talking a lot 
uh, you know, like talking every day on the phone or whatever. I think at that point she had become like very resigned to the idea of me being a trans woman. And she was mostly just interested in the process of things, you know, like sort of bonding with me. And there were a lot of very sweet moments, you know, she was like, will the hormones make it so that you get a period? And I was like, no. And she was like, oh, thank God, you know, my periods are so painful. And she was like, are your breasts very tender? And I was like, oh, yes, they really are. And she was like, oh, I remember that, you know, like that was so painful. And like, I remember so many years of like not wanting to hug people because they were so tender. And just bonding with her over stuff like that was extremely meaningful to me. And then near the very end of her life, she also like gave me some of her jewelry and, you know, like let me choose like a necklace that I really liked out of her things. Um, And it, you know, it just meant a lot. Like it, it really felt like this was like a, an extremely sweet hint of the relationship that we could have had in the longer term that unfortunately we weren't able to. I don't know. It's a complicated thing, but like, I have a lot of faith in my mom and I know that she would have like been really good about it ultimately. But like, as it was like her cancer was just such like at the forefront of everyone's mind, like my transness almost took a back seat, even with the rest of my family. It was so strange, you know, like it was like, Oh, my mom is dying. Also, I'm trans and everyone would be like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's it's a weird circumstance when that sort of thing is going on. Absolutely. Can you speak a, to a little bit to how being out has sort of affected your relationship with your family, if you care to speak about that at all? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, my biological family, the, the people that I see um, are relatively small you know, subset of my larger family. Um, So I have a brother. We're very close. He has been one of the most supportive and wonderful people in my life. And from the moment I came out to him was like unbelievably supportive. He's three years younger than me and like just wonderful. My dad and I um, are estranged, I guess. I cut off contact. So like it's sort of irrelevant. I have very elderly grandparents Um, And I'm not actually out to them just because of their um, health and memory issues. Like there's sort of this sense that like if I came out, they might not remember from like conversation to conversation. So it would be like this endless process of coming out that would I think be very upsetting to them. So I've decided not to. And like, honestly, it doesn't seem to matter. You know, like the last time I visited, I just put my hair in a ponytail and they were like, oh, you're very fashionable. So like that was fine. You know, like they didn't even notice that I had a nose piercing and like I, you know, I have lots of aunts and uncles and they're all very nice. Most of them have been quite supportive, but I just don't see them very often. I'm a really big believer in like chosen family. Like I think a lot of trans people are. And so like when it comes to chosen family, like I have the most incredible family I could ask for, you know, like my friends are just incredible. And like, um, I'm lucky enough right now to get to live with, um, my friend Carolyn, uh, she's moved in with me and Emily and like that feels more like being close to family than like almost any other experience I've ever had in my life. You know, it's, it's just like one of the most wonderful things. 
Um, and my friends Ashley and Alice live in Ann Arbor as well. They're co-hosts on the podcast. My friend Emma, also a co-host on the podcast. And like, they are my family. You know, they feel like the people who have been so consistently supportive and kind and good and understanding. And, you know, like if I had to make like a family tree or whatever, I would probably put them on it. <laughs> it just feels more useful to me. Like, my attitude towards biological family is largely like, why would I owe you something if our relationship is bad and like you don't understand me in any way? Like just the fact that we're related by blood does not impress me. So like the the concept of chosen family has been very important to me. I, I definitely relate to that. I'm very practiced in the, the sort of adoptive family type things. Like my sister-in-law's mom is actually someone I'm very close to because her husband died around the same time that my mom died. And we sort of bonded over that. And I find that to be a lot more fulfilling in a lot of ways because they're not, they're not family by obligation. They're family because they care about you and you care about them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. On a a lighter note, uh, (laughs) there's a Kickstarter interview that you did. You mentioned um, having read a lot of like, older sort of like New Yorker comics and 70s mm-hmm. comics and stuff like that. Yeah. And that sort of reminded me that a lot of your stuff kind of reminds me of Art Spiegelman in a weird way. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I actually wrote a paper on him a while back kind of discussing the way that he compartmentalizes different different versions of his identity across his work. Mm-hmm. He has like himself as a mouse, but he also has human himself wearing a mouse mask. Right. And then he and then he has himself as like old different like comics characters and I've always found that like really fascinating, but um, as a as a film person, I have a very strong affinity for older movies, and I feel like there's not enough like love for weird old black and white movies that no one's ever heard of. Oh yeah, no, I also love those. Yeah, how do you feel the those um, those older comics have sort of affected your approach to making comics? Oh, I mean like. Those older comics, so my dad collected comics and um, he collected like floppies. Like, so there were bookshelves and bookshelves filled with like, you know, like 70s Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, you know, like just thousands of comics. But he also had a lot of big collections of um, like older comics, more classic comics like um, Lil Abner, Tearing the Pirates, Little Nemo, slightly more obscure comics like Alley Oop, things like that. So like those were some of the first things I read, you know, like definitely the first comics I read and just more generally like some of the first things I read ever. And I really grew up on them. So they had a big impact just in terms of like teaching me about like visual storytelling and language and the world at large, you know, like I did not have a lot of exposure to modern pop culture. So like a lot of my attitudes and ideas about like the larger world came through that sort of like 50s pop culture lens which is bad you know like it's (laughs) um like there's some good stuff there but like a lot of it is just like pretty racist and like you know like rough so like i still feel very fond of a lot of those things mostly because of like the the impact that they made on me 
when I was younger or like the escape they offered when I was younger, you know, like I can still like easily recall like Terry and the Pirates storylines that like I really liked when I was younger, but like I wouldn't recommend them to anybody because they're like the most racist comics ever. Like they're so bad. And it's a little bit of a complicated thing because like so many of those things I grew up with are just like so awful. And like, Also, like, it gave me the comics knowledge of, like, a 60 to 70 year old man, you know, like, (laughs) I can hold my own in conversations with, like, the older comics guys. And, like, my attitude towards those comics is very different than theirs because they have, like, generally a sort of reverence, you know, like, oh, my God, like, Milton Caniff is, like, one of the, the great geniuses of the forum. And, like, my feeling is always like, yeah, he draws okay, but, like, fuck off, like, (laughs) There's plenty of good comics being made now, and I would rather read those. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's it's sort of an interesting balance. Like, I don't think that, like, art should be, like, destroyed from history or whatever. But I also don't think that, like, anybody needs to study the great masters of, like, old comics to understand comics. Like, I think that they can, you know, like, if you grow up and, like, you just watch Steven Universe and you read, like web comics like you're good you know like you have an understanding of comics that's probably more interesting than you would if you grew up on Terry and the Pirates or whatever yeah I think it's like it it helps that comics as a medium are sort of fundamentally simple to understand Mm -hmm. I actually for 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 a very long time uh I I drew comics and wanted to be a comics artist and I still flirt with the idea of uh, getting any of my weird, impossible to film story ideas into comics form because I, I love I love comics so much. You should like the, you absolutely should. I actually uh, I bought a tablet like a long time ago and uh, it's been sitting in my closet and I tried to install it this morning and only a third of the surface is working and it's really oh, no. bizarre. I can't figure out how to get it to work <laughs> and I couldn't figure out how to Google it either because. <laughs> it's one of those like weird tech problems that involves a lot of words that mean different things. Right. Right. I just right. Couldn't figure out how to like problem solve it. But, uh, I also feel like, uh, part of my like upbringing on the internet besides forums was sort of the boom of, of, uh, early web comics. Mm-hmm. And I, I fell out of that. I had so many comics that I, I kept up with like every day and that's gone away. And I'm not entirely sure why, like my ability to keep up with ongoing, like, uh, 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 questionable content and yeah. stuff like th- mm-hmm. stuff like stuff like that. Like I just fell off the wagon with those, and I, I've always intended to like go back and keep reading them. But I have for some reason, like I have a hard time now forcing myself to read something that doesn't have like a physical like totem. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that probably has to do with my undiagnosed up until very recently uh, ADHD, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where I, now I have like I have a dedicated bookshelf in my room that's like, here are the things you need to read. Remember that. <laughs> that's a good idea. I need a dedicated bookshelf. <laughs> like there's so many books in this house. I guess. Um, do you have any like recommendations for for cooler, interesting comics or comics creators that are working today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So like for like just a a broader list than I can probably think of off the top of my head, like um, check out our podcast archives too. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, just off the top of my head, like Higu Rose um, is a transmasculine non-binary comics creator who did this comic Titty Chop Boob Slash about getting top surgery. 
that I really, really like. Sophia Foster Domino is one of the brightest and best comics artists working today. She had a collection released recently from Koyama called Sex Fantasy. Mickey Z is one of my all-time faves. Mickey works a lot with Youth in Decline, just anything by Youth in Decline more generally. But Mickey's work is really wonderful. Michael DeForge is like a very, very popular and good indie cartoonist who does a lot of serialized work online that's quite good, but also has like a ton of books out, like probably the most prolific cartoonist of his generation so far. Jillian Tamaki is a genius. She illustrated um, This One Summer with uh, Mariko Tamaki, also Super Mutant Magic Academy, which is really, really good off the top of my head. I really like Annie Mock's work. Annie's a trans woman. Carolyn Nowak, I mean, who lives with me, so I would be extremely remiss (laughs) for not mentioning her work, but is a genius. And I'm very jealous of her ability to make good comics. I don't know. I I could keep going forever. There's a lot of good work. Anything by Youth in Decline, anything published by Chap Books, which is spelled C-Z-A-P. Oh, Jeremy Cerise is really amazing. Like... There's just a lot of really good stuff in in indie comics, like something useful that you can do, like if you want to sort of like get a broad taste is to go to like the Small Press Expo website and just like look at the comics that debuted there this past year. Like you can see the covers and like a short description, but like that's a really nice broad survey of like the people who are working right now. And there's like plenty of not that interesting stuff, but there's also plenty of really, really good stuff. That's all. That's a very good list. Just quickly jotting all of those down for my own. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I, this is a this is a question that I sort of wrestle with a lot in my own work to some extent. What is it that you're trying to do with your comics? If you if you understand that that question, like yeah, I I think so. I feel like my impulse to make comics comes from not having seen stories that I identified with when I was younger. Like I remember really searching and searching and like, why can't I find anything that like feels like I do or like explains how I feel. And so like, I guess it's kind of cliche, but like creating the work that I want to read is like a big impulse. I'm not that interested in like only being like someone who does work about trans issues or only being someone who does work about trauma. But like those are things that I'm really interested in right now. So like they come out a lot, but like more largely like just sort of filling that hole, I think. And like the idea that like someone else could be reading the work and like get something important from it. Like that's that's important to me. That's a very good answer. I, f- I feel I feel kind of the same way. For me, it's more like in the in the books that I'm I'm the many books that are unfinished that I'm working on that will be finished eventually. Maybe a lot of times there's just like an image that's that feels like profoundly different, and I want to write ten thousand words to capture that one image. So you're you're working on a book right now. To my understanding. Uh, I'm working on a bigger book for 2D Cloud called I Want to Be Evil. I am so behind on that book. But with any luck, it will be released in 2018. That's my goal. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm currently working on for big projects. And then doing a bunch of freelance on the side and things like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Do you care to speak at all to, uh, why that's been difficult to keep up with? Oh, I mean, like... So I have a a genetic uh, disorder, uh, a connective tissue disorder, where I don't 
I guess I don't have enough collagen. So like my joints are extremely weak and I sprain really easily. So I had to stop working at like my day job. And now I work entirely from home and I am doing freelance, which has meant that like a lot of my artistic energy has been going towards freelance and not like this big book that like doesn't pay upfront. So I just sort of need to like figure out the balance of like doing both and also like just not being super sad and wasting a whole day, you know, but like that's sort of the cartoonist experience, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I generally speaking, my work sort of comes in waves where like I'll have a period of time where I'm extremely productive and then a period of time where I'm not productive. And that's okay. Like, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. So, you know, my editor's been very understanding. So like, I think things will be all right. I'm excited to get this book done because I think it's going to be good. But like, I also don't want to rush it. Right. Yeah. Do you want to say a little bit about what that book's going to be about? Uh, So it's like a collection of work. Um, Secure Connect is going to be in it. This comic I did for the Critical Chips anthology is going to be in it. And then the big centerpiece of the book is like a story that I'm currently working on, you know, like hundreds and some pages. And that's like like more generally like a big autobiographical piece so like that is where the bulk of my effort is going right now like this big sort of all-encompassing story that like feels very important and difficult and so like i think it's going to be like a strong collection it's also going to have a comic by my friend alice and a comic by the trans boy i talked about earlier soren so like it's going to be an interesting collection of work i think but like it's just one of those things like i i need to get my act together and like keep working on it yeah well, that that sounds very promising. I'm I'm excited to see it when you can when you can finish it. Thank you. This feels like a pretty good stopping point. Yeah. Where can people find you? So on Twitter, I'm at Cardamonier, or you can go to my website, cardamonier.com. And there are links like from either of those places to like everything else I do. So like, that's probably the best way to do it. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This was a, a very illuminating conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. And like, I hope that you continue to do this podcast because I think this is very worthwhile. Well, thank you. I, I hope it is. <laughs> Uh, I feel pretty good about it. Good. was a good conversation, huh? I had a lot of fun with that, and I think Carta did too. And I said this like a million times in this episode, but one more time to Carta, thank you so much for, you know, taking an hour and a half out of your day to sit down and talk with me. Uh, I, 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 have, I have no, like social media following. I just emailed Carta out of the blue and she was gracious enough to look at this microscopic podcast from this random nobody and be like, yeah, I'll talk to you. So that that means a whole lot to me. And I hope that the quality of this interview, if it is, if it does have quality encourages other people to uh, to want to come on the show because I want to talk to more people and I'll just lead into that real quick. I have an email address for this show, which is transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com. If you're trans, if you're non-binary, if you have any sort of weird gender stuff going on and you have a bit of a story that you would like to tell that you feel like maybe doesn't get represented enough, shoot me an email. Uh, You can write it all out and I'll read it on the show. You can record an audio clip and I'll play it 
in an episode. As much as this show is about sort of my experience with being transgender, I kind of want it to be about everybody's to some extent, in the sense that I want to get a feeling for the variety of different ways that other people deal with being trans or non-binary or what have you. I will say that Carta was the first person that I ever really interviewed. And if this interview felt like really breezy and natural, that's because I edited the shit out of it. I, there were a lot of awkward pauses in me, like shuffling my notebook and trying to remember what I wanted to say. And Carta graciously humored me the whole time. And of course, you know, immediately after we got off our our call, I thought of a million other questions that I should have asked her. I kind of got, we got... We got a little bit off topic in the sense that I like talking about art and comics and whatever other stuff so much that I should have focused a little bit more on specific trans questions, I guess. But that's fine. This was still a fun conversation. And uh, if she's amenable to it, I'll have her on again. Whatever, man. One more thing. The description of this episode includes a ton of links. So there'll be links to Carta's website and her Twitter, but there's also going to be links to the specific comics that we talked about, as well as all of the recommendations that she gave in case you're curious like I was. So I don't, I don't know if that will show up very well in iTunes or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or whatever else. So I recommend if you're at all interested in those and don't want to like track them down yourself and like go to the whatever time code it was in this episode and hear when Carter mentioned them. I recommend going to the homepage of my podcast, which is just transquestioning.podbean.com. Podbean, like the word pod and the word bean, like a bean that you eat. And then just click on this episode and in the description there will be all of those links and things for your perusal as well as links to all of my various things at the very end because my stuff is the least important. So the the coda that I tease at the beginning. So I took Carta's advice and I checked out ThreadUp and ThreadUp's fucking rad, by the way, like... She was not kidding. The The clothes there are dirt, dirt cheap. And they're all pretty good as far as I could tell. And in a wide range of sizes, I found, I think I bought like six things for like $50, maybe less than that. Now you need to like sign up to, uh, to browse. But what's cool is that they send you a, a coupon code. That's like 40% off your first purchase and it's 40% off everything in your cart. So that's a big part of why it was such a cheap thing but even still like each thing was like 10 to 18 dollars which is so cheap for that stuff so yes this is an advertising podcast uh i am not sponsored by ThreadUp. it's just a good website and you should check it out and hopefully there's no unethical evil things that that company does because then i'll feel like a real heel i will say i haven't gotten any of those clothes yet so i don't know if they're any good or if my ability to judge whether they're the right size is 100 percent off, I will be sure to update you once I know that for myself. So yeah, it's 2018 now and uh, I have plans. So many plans. Uh, Hopefully they're not the best laid ones. Hopefully they're just sort of like middling to, to fine because it's the best ones that oft ag awry. Is that, is that 
the the original i don't know i can't i can't remember it's been too long since i read that poem just a quick little rundown of where i am personally i am in the process of starting laser hair removal i'm hoping to have my first session in the next couple of weeks and i'm going to do that for my plan right now is to obviously do that until it's done but i'm probably going to go 3 sessions and then from that point go off and start uh hormone replacement therapy. We'll see how that goes. If I, if my beard hasn't like thinned up sufficiently by that time, I might push it back a little, but I'm working on a big episode about specifically laser hair removal. So if anybody listening out there has personal experience or opinions about laser hair removal that they feel like don't get talked about enough or would like to share again, send me an email at transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com. All one word. All right, well, this episode's been really long, so I hope you have a great time. And now I'm going to do all of the required plugging of my garbage. So stick around for that. Hello, and thank you again for listening to this podcast. If you liked what you heard and would like to help me make more, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash L-T-A-S. Patreon is a website where you can pledge to give me money once a month or whatever that will go towards the production of my various projects. Various projects? What do you mean by that? I'm glad you asked me in a higher-pitched voice. Uh, Other projects include my YouTube show, which includes a series discussing metamodernism and if you want to know what the hell that word means you should go watch that series episode one about the force awakens is out it's only 55 minutes long so it's a breezy watch that's really easy to recommend You can find me on Twitter at HMSNoFun. Otherwise, cover art is by Emily Bumgarner. The music that you heard in this episode is the Me Channel theme by Insane in the Rain Music. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I will see you again next week. Next week.